Welcome back to the Hidden Things and Hidden Things. This is part eight, I think, and we're dealing with another section of chapter seven. A lot of uh, flashback information with Calliope, going back time with Josh from before things went bad, and then a little bit more with Vicus. This is a pretty long episode, actually. Um, and Vicus, for long stretches of time, is a little bit hard on the throat. So Calliope, this, this is an interesting section here because this is a section that in the, probably in the original draft didn't exist anywhere except in my head. I didn't write it. It was just the information that I had about how Calliope and Josh got along. I didn't get a chance to actually do the dialogue, do these scenes, and sort of live some time with them where they're just being insufferably cute and in love with each other and, you know, living in a crappy little apartment and yet terribly happy. And then, you know, things starting to go a little bit to pot um, all around the stress that comes up between this. I think the main stress between Calliope and Josh is that Calliope sort of rejects her family and Josh desperately wants one. Um, not the, not the wanting kids wanting a family kind of thing, but um, although probably that too, also that too, but, um, just wanting a family, wanting a mom and a dad and stuff like that, because he didn't really have one for a lot of his childhood. So that's where a lot of that stress comes from. It was really good to be able to spend this time and expand this some more because it's, it doesn't do the reader much good for it to be in my head. So I had a good time writing this. It also one of the scenes, at least the argument about whether or not to go back home and visit her family back in the Midwest um, to get, get away for a little bit, introduced what was probably the most confusing line to all of my editors and first readers and uh, pretty much everybody who wasn't from the Midwest found it incredibly confusing. And I had a comment from almost everybody who read it saying, I thought they were talking about going back to the Midwest. Why is she talking about driving to Egypt? <laughs> and then like, but you can't even, you can't drive to Egypt. Um, because apparently nobody's heard the term bumfuck bum bum Egypt or BFE. Um, BFE exactly. Yeah. Uh, is the kind of person who says the whole thing all the way. I mean, for those of you who haven't heard the term, this is a way to refer to someplace that is, um, as, as Whedon would say it on, at the corner of, at, at the middle of, or at the corner of no and where, um, BFE is just this place that's so far away from anything interesting that you would never, ever, ever want to go there. And it is frequently used by inhabitants of the Midwest, especially young ones to refer to usually where they live, but in any case, some other section of the Midwest. So this, to me, was a very natural thing for Calliope to be saying in reference to her home. And it confuses the hell out of anybody who's not from there, apparently. Uh, so hopefully, if you were a reader um, and were reading through this the first time, it didn't leave you confused. And if it did, well, hey, here's the explanation. BFE. Um, someplace you never want to go and it's far away from everywhere. That's the contribution of this whole section to the story is education for the reader on casual profanity. So is it a clue that Vicus can drink the coffee so quickly? Is, is he heat proof? Is he magical? I have a theory about Vicus. And anyway, that was really interesting. I had a question from a reader fairly early on when the book first came out publicly where somebody asked me, and he wasn't a reader who read a lot of genre stuff. And having read it and given me his feedback on it, which for him, the story was a very different kind of story than 
Um, it, it was for some readers, but he had an interesting question about Vicus, which is if he, if he is what he is, which we find out what he is towards the end, um, why did the pepper spray work on him? And the same kind of thing with the, with the coffee and, and uh, coffee, honestly, the coffee wasn't that hot. It was warm, but he drinks it fast because he really wants to get going. And also it's terrible. So it's not the kind of thing you want to sit around and savor. But the question of like, what is Vicus and, and why does some stuff work on him? I have a theory about that, that the, the stranger Vicus gets, the more powerful he is. So the more he's trying to pass himself off as somebody else or somebody normal, the more normal he sort of is, the more rules he has to play by. The disguise comes with a cost in that the disguise is actually pretty good. I mean, he still looks weird, but when you've got a guy on the street corner and he's accosting you and you, and you hit him with pepper spray, um, he goes down. And so Vicus goes down because that's, he's pretty much a normal guy. Now for the record, pretty sure that four or five hours later, he wouldn't be sitting in a bar drinking casually and show no signs of it. So he's not entirely normal, but he certainly is affected by that. If you'd have tried to use pepper spray at the end, when his coat's off and his shirt's off and his shoes are off and everything, it would not have had a hell of a lot of effect. So yeah, different rules for different points in the story, I think. Another part of this is whether or not Calliope can exert any kind of influence or effect on him. It, I think, it's desperately for for a number of reasons, it's really, really desperately important that she be able to throw her weight around a little bit. She she knocks him over. First time that they meet, she knocks him over on his ass, well, on his ass for two seconds. She pepper sprays him. She argues with him. Um, in the next section that we're going to see, she leaves him stranded in a parking lot. Um, and part of that is just the mood that she's in, but part of it is is being able to say, um, that she's not just that blundering idiot. I talked about this before, you know, I don't know what's going on. I'm just not going to believe any of it. It doesn't matter whether she believes it or not. She can, she can assert her will and have some effect on this. She's not just the, it's for me, it's really hard to identify with a protagonist that is weaker than every, everybody else. Uh, and yeah, if I guess were to totally pull off the kid gloves, he would kick her ass and you know, every, everybody that she ever loved. Yes. Granted but he's not going to. And because he's playing it pretty straight, she has the ability to affect him. Also, because of his job in this, his role, and because of her role in this, he is going to be, he is, in a very real sense, entirely vulnerable to her. He doesn't have to be. He chooses to be. The way that he runs this whole quest, so to speak, and the way he always has, which he takes a lot of flack for, is to give the called upon person their head in this um give them as much information as they need to make a decision without giving them so much that the right or wrong decision is presented to them because if the choice doesn't have meaning it's not really useful it doesn't have any power that's his theory and because of the role that he's in he doesn't know if it's anything more than a theory but it's what he's going with so he has to give Calliope the ability to affect things. He can, or she can, I should say, truly ruin him at the end. And not just him, but everybody. She can do a horrible, horrible thing. And that's not possible. She's not in that position unless 
Vicus gives her the ability, gives her the freedom to be in that position. The idea there is that, you know, all the success here at the beginning sets her up to be able to deal with her parents a little bit better. I think that, come right down to it, the way that Calliope deals with her parents, the part where she stands up for herself with her parents later is something she's been able to do for a long time. She's probably always been able to do that. She's 16 and she leaves and never comes back. Um, that, that is the kind of thing that you call a bluff on a kid. And generally speaking, the bluff's going to turn out to be vapor. And it isn't with her. She leaves and she makes, she makes her life work. That's not easy. Um, it's not the beating up Vicus that makes Calliope able to deal with her family. It's the part later where something really bad happens to him and she cares and she learns to care. And she opens herself up to somebody that she's never opened herself up to before that, you know, somebody new when she hasn't for a really long time and she doesn't and nothing bad happens. That's the thing that she takes back to her family that she didn't have before that lets her do something positive with that. You can absolutely care for somebody who's Superman. You can absolutely care for somebody who's like ultra competent, whatever. It's not about that. Calliope probably can't though. She's, she's going to come at everybody from an antagonistic point of view, from an antagonistic place, because that's just how she's wired. She's defensive, partly because she's been on her own for as long as she has. So she's always going to come to Vicus this way. They have to, because, not, because of Vicus's personality and because of Calliope's personality, they have to start off spitting and hissing like, like cats and dogs. And they have to get to a place where they're friends, where they're equals, I think, very, very much equals. Because Calliope's not going to have respect for somebody who's weaker than she is. And she's not going to be able to open herself up to somebody who's stronger than she is. Vicus is strong. Obviously, Vicus is strong, but Calliope has got some gifts in that regard. And this, this goes back to her relationship with Tom, her relationship with Josh, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. Um, she's just afraid of it. Vicus teaches her not to be afraid. So in the next episode, we're going to go Kagelm, which is bowling. We're going to go to a bowling alley. We're going to find out what Vicus's little trick is with the bowling alley and what he wants to accomplish there. And then unsurprisingly, there's going to be an argument and then we get to go see Gluin again. 